Before we go to Second Timothy chapter 1, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, let me pray briefly and then we'll consider this text together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity now to look into your word. Help us to run to you. Help us to look to you. Help us to follow you. Strengthen us now through your word. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not the kind of sport that you would see on ESPN uh, or really even see clips of or highlights from on, on YouTube. It's, it's actually such a hard sport. You can't practice it. You can train for it, but you don't really practice it. It's not one of those. You, you, just, you just prepare the best you can. The sport is ultra marathon running. There is uh, a lady here in this country who is now at 190 days in a row of running an ultra marathon. Her goal is 200. A marathon is 26.2 miles. An ultra marathon is usually something over 30. Uh, and I think that's what she's trying to do is over 30 miles every day. She's 190 days in, which is just crazy. Of course, most of these ultra marathon races are a lot more than 30 miles. Most of them are 50 or more. Many are 100. Some are hundreds of miles. It's like running a marathon and then running another marathon or two more or three more. They're just insane. What's interesting about the sport is, you know, you know it. You, if you can run, you can do it, right? I mean, that's it. It's, it's just running. There's not a lot more to tell you. There's not like three strategies. There's not like a, a configuration or a play. You, you just try to finish the race. Very few people get to win, like one, right? Uh, it's just, it's not, not what most people are going for. It's the kind of thing you just try to finish. As you look closer at ultra marathon running, there's a couple of things that are surprising. One, it's not actually all running. And the longer the race, the less running you do. It's like run, walk, jog walking. And then you just rotate those as you're able. The second thing that's surprising is it's, it's actually a team sport. So in order to do an ultra marathon, you have to have a support team, a crew, that when you go into these kind of pit stops... They refill your vest, they get you water, they feed you food. If you have gear that's broken, they fix it, they give you fresh shoes. They do whatever they can to help you in the midst, in the midst of the run. And in most of these races, there's parts of the race where someone can actually run with you. So it's a team sport that actually doesn't involve that much running. So it's kind of a surprising thing, isn't it? At its heart, it's not flashy. It's not even all that much running. And you've got to have a good support crew or, or you just won't finish. When we think about the Christian life as a marathon, we think it's long and hard and something we do alone. Brothers and sisters, I think the better analogy is that the Christian life is an ultra-marathon. It's not flashy. There's no TV coverage. And you have to have a team. You have to have a team. This morning, I want to think about the idea of the Christian life. I'll have some direct application for mothers as we go, and especially at the end. 
But I want to think about the Christian life and, and this illustration, at least initially here, of an ultra marathon. Of course, there's at least one way that the analogy breaks down. And I got to point this out initially, right? Because if you're thinking, okay, all right, a Christian life is not a marathon. It's an ultra marathon and it, I'm going to be walking at times. That's okay. And, and I have this team that supports me. Great. That's a wonderful picture. But you got to add the complication that you are crewing for other teams while you're doing your ultra marathon. And your crew isn't driving to the next stop. They're running ultra marathons too. You see? So we're in this together. There has to be an intertwining. There has to be a helping of one another if we are going to finish well, if we are going to persevere. Now we have, I think, the image of both discipleship and disciple-making, of running and crewing. It isn't flashy. It's a team sport. And we're all doing this as Christians, side by side. I want to begin with just a few pastoral observations. Um, in the Lord's kindness, I am 12 years in to pastoring here at this church. And I want to just make a few observations that I think are true. First, quite a few Christians want to be helped spiritually. Fewer Christians want to help others spiritually. Far too many Christians are not engaged or growing spiritually. I think each of those is true. Let me give you my desires for this morning. First, I want to affirm those who want to be helped. That should be all of us. We should all want to be helped. We should all want to have a crew with us as we run this race. Reliant on the Lord, we need others. And we should all recognize that need for help in the Christian race. Second... I want to try to, this morning, increase the number of people who want to help others run the race. We need to see this as our responsibility. If part of our own following Jesus is helping others follow Jesus. So you don't just need a team. You're needed on others' teams. Third, I want to call those who are disengaged to repent and continue following Jesus or to repent and start following Jesus. That may be, that may be you. Maybe you've stepped off the course. No crew is looking for you and no one is expecting your help. You're, you're not engaged in the race. You're not following Jesus. At the heart of of our study here this morning, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18 in just a moment, is this conviction that ordinary Christianity means following Jesus. That's what ordinary Christians do. So saying that you're a follower of Christ is another way of saying you're a Christian. And in the Gospels, this discipleship looks like what we could call costly obedience. So following Jesus, obeying Jesus, even when, especially when, it costs you. And ordinary Christians then are helping other Christians follow Jesus. So you have a team and you're needed. You, you have to crew for other people on this race. So disciple making is part of our discipleship. But then here's, here's, here's the thing. This is where we'll end. 
So often, we, we don't know, okay, if we say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, yes, I know I need to help other people follow Jesus, how do I do that? How do I follow Jesus? We'll talk about that. How do I help other people follow Jesus? I think the two main obstacles is we don't know who and we don't know how. What in the world would it look like for me, like me, for you to be helping other Christians follow Jesus? What does crewing look like? And we'll, we'll end there with the who and the how. That was all by way of introduction. We have two brief points here this morning. They're very simple. The first is follow Jesus. The second is help others follow Jesus. So the first point is discipleship. The second point is disciple making. In the analogy, following Jesus is the ultra marathon. It's not flashy. It is hard. And you need a crew. In the analogy, helping others follow Jesus, this is you needing to crew. This is you helping others finish. And this is part of your own running well. So let's begin with point number one. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Listen as I read, or you can follow along in your copy, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here you begin with this commitment, right? This begins with a relationship with the master and a commitment to follow him. Look again at verse 19. Follow me, Jesus commands. But it also, there's a cost here to following. Look down at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Or later he left their nets, they left their father Zebedee and followed him. So obedience to Jesus looks like obedience to Jesus even when it will be costly. Jesus called his first disciples away from their vocation, away from their family, at least initially. But it wasn't just them. Jesus says in Luke 9, you just listen. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus talks about this, talks like this quite often, doesn't he? Deny yourself, right? So following Jesus, we should get in our minds, runs counter to this culture and to your own heart. The message isn't to be true to yourself. The message is to deny yourself. You see the difference. Take up your cross daily. So this isn't, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus with the big decisions of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus when I think through schooling or vocation or relationships or marriage or moving or church. No, it's a daily dying. It's a daily commitment of obedience, even when it costs you in a thousand smaller ways. Follow me. Live like me. Obey me. There's a new orientation. New relationship changes everything. Changes how you think about your time, your money, your energy, your resources. 
your job, your roles. That one relationship changes all the other relationships. You have a relationship with Jesus, following him affects everything. So we're called to to imitate him. We see this again in Jesus' instruction. We see this in the message of the apostles again and again. Listen to some of the ways we're called to imitate Jesus. A new command I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Or Paul in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right. So there's a humility that follows Jesus. Service. John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Or Peter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Or like we saw just a few months ago in 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And Jesus obeyed his father. Look again at verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So following Christ has a a second part, if you will. Being called to help others follow Jesus. Often, I think we want the first part, but not the second part. So we're good with the whole discipleship to Jesus part. We're not as good with the disciple making part. Like I signed up for the first part. Is the second part optional? Can I, can I opt in or could I pass? We want Jesus to say, follow me. And if you ever feel ready, I'll teach you about part two. Jesus says, follow me includes helping others. Follow me. Part two always is included. So being a disciple maker isn't just for some. It's what Jesus has promised to make every true disciple. It's not flashy. I think it's appropriate that we're talking about this on Mother's Days. Mothers, especially mothers of young children, know this firsthand, right? You die daily in a thousand ways. Uh, Sue Amy and I are in a season of life where I think we, and I think especially her, realizes that if the kids are awake, it's different than when the kids are asleep. And, and we're also in a season where they don't all sleep at the same time except for at night. So we used to get like the afternoons off, you know, nap time. Uh, that's just not the case anymore. You're crewing constantly, right? Others of you understand, as moms, the daily patient help you offer to your sons and daughters as they're becoming adults, showing them how to follow Jesus, supporting them where you can. You die daily by bearing burdens and giving counsel and entrusting adult children to the Lord. Discipleship looks like run 
walk, jog, walk. When the kids are in the home, it's all team all the time. It isn't flashy. It is hard. It's a daily denial of self. What I'm saying is that isn't done Christianly unless it begins with following Jesus. We follow Jesus and then we seek to help others, maybe beginning first with those in our home to follow Jesus. It starts with knowing him. It starts with admitting our need to be rescued by Jesus, admitting our sin, admitting our need for a savior, even as has been modeled this morning through baptism. It starts with taking his yoke and then only can you bear the other's burdens. Point number two, help others follow Jesus. Help others follow Jesus. This is disciple making. Disciple making is part of your discipleship. Following Jesus always includes helping others to follow Jesus. If you're not helping others to follow Jesus, I'm not sure you're following Jesus. So following Jesus always includes helping other people follow Jesus. That's what, that's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. So we help others follow Jesus in the same way that he taught his first disciples, right? He, he taught them and he showed them. That's what discipleship meant in the first century. That's what it means in the gospels. That's what we should be thinking, right? So they listened to Jesus and they observed Jesus. So Jesus was talking but walking, right? And it, it's a both. It requires both. So we have examples of his formal teaching. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. He told his disciples and his informal teaching, let the children come to me, <laughs> right? Let them come to me. He showed them, so this is how you watch and pray. So you have both a, a pattern of truth teaching and a pattern of living or example I've used this example before, this illustration before. Uh, my family growing up uh, had uh, greenhouses, and we had some older style greenhouses, so some that were 100 years old at the time, and so they had dirt floors, not sand or concrete. They were dirt. We grew things in the ground in the greenhouses. We were old school, maybe a little too long, but we were old school, right? And we would grow, one of the things we would grow was snapdragons. And we would do these in the winter, and, and then we would uh, harvest them and bring them into uh, the Boston Flower Exchange there in Boston, and then they would be sold to florists or whatever. And, and snapdragons don't want to grow straight. You have to kind of force them to go, grow straight up. And so we would lay out this grid, and it was actually two grids that we would roll out down this long bed, and then you'd plant your snapdragons, and as they grew, you would raise the grid. So you'd have two up six inches, and then you'd leave one at six inches, and the other one, and you'd raise them up. So by the time you harvested them, you had to pull them way out, out of the grid, and that way you'd have these straight, and they would go into flower arrangements and, and go to floors. It required two patterns, two grids, to make sure they, they grow straight, to make sure the plants conform to the pattern. And in discipleship, Jesus models what the apostles repeat, which is we need two. We need two kind of patterns. We need right teaching, but we also need right living. We need truth, but we also need example. 
Go over with me to, to 2 Timothy now. We'll end here. 2 Timothy. Towards the end of your uh, New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul can write to Timothy in chapter 1 verse 13 and say, Follow the pattern, not of life, not here. He says the pattern of sound words or truth. There's a pattern of of truth that started with Jesus. It echoes through the apostles down to us today. So Paul can write to believers, just normal believers like you and I and say that they should be able to instruct one another. Hmm. They should be able to to teach. So there's clearly kind of a a teaching pattern. So if we're going to help others follow Jesus, we need to know the truth and share the truth. But there's another pattern here. There's the pattern of example of, we could say, life-touching life or mentoring or role modeling or imitation. It's not a program that we can give you with 10 steps and a brochure or anything like that. It's time together. It's showing. Friends, there's some things that, that have to be learned by example. There's some things that we learn best by example. It's giving someone a, a front row seat. So Paul says again and again, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So you learn what it is to be a mother by watching mothers. To be a grandmother by watching other grandmothers. You learn what it means to follow Christ in, in grief and through temptation and with doubt and under stress, and through cancer, and after a separation, or divorce, and as an employee, and with your finances. And we we learn this through truth, and through example. This is not optional. This is normal. Oftentimes, I think we, as a church, so here... I'm including myself. First Baptist, I think this is us. We assume that teaching is all that Christians need. Put truth in. Give it enough time and out will come a disciple. Or a mature Christian. Attend, listen, and you will grow. And I think what we often miss is the second pattern, the pattern of godly living or example. I think we're better at kind of hearing the pastor teach truth than modeling that truth through transparency, through intimacy, through relationships, through friendships with one another. But I don't think you kind of accidentally help other people follow Jesus. It's not like, oh, this is kind of going along, minding my own thing, totally in marathon mode. And what do you know? I crewed for four people. It's like, no, you're not going to accidentally do that. It'd be like teaching someone soccer by accident. It's like, no, they, they know you and you know soccer, so they'll learn soccer, surely. Maybe they'll watch you play occasionally. Well, that would help, but it's going to require some intentionality, wouldn't it? To teach someone a sport or an instrument, and the examples are... Are many. So we have to be intentional to, to cultivate the relationship that there might be truth and example. 
requires humility. Requires admitting that you haven't arrived. It requires us to shift our, our, our thinking from a marathon to an ultra marathon. Not flashy, hard, and we need others. The reality is, and I, I, I say this, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how you all view me. Uh, I know how I viewed my pastor growing up, so that's, that's my one data point there. But um, you'll always feel like you want to know more first before you try to help someone. You, you'll feel like you have nothing to offer. And, and that's how I feel every Sunday. Like I should know more. Like I should have studied longer. And like, I, I just don't have that much to offer. But you and I must embrace that the Christian life isn't about us. It isn't about what we know. It's not what we have to offer. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And, and we'll learn by doing. No one learns more than the teacher, right? And if you wait until you feel like you're ready to help someone grow spiritually, follow Jesus, you, you'll never do it because you'll never start. You'll never feel ready. Look, look at chapter 2, verse 2 of Second Timothy. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you have Paul, then Timothy, then faithful men, then others also. There's a lineage here. I think this naturally or most naturally happens in the context of a church, of a local church. So maybe this is uh, two friends that decide, hey, we're going to just read a book together. Christian book. And we'll discuss it when we can get together over coffee. I've seen this happen in our church. This is a wonderful thing. Maybe it looks like two couples uh, going on a date night uh, once or twice a month and talking about marriage and, and how they're doing. I've seen this happen in our church. Maybe it looks like a godly lady who has a, a, a younger single sister over to her home in the afternoons and they read the Bible and they pray together and they just spend time together. I've seen this happen. Maybe it looks like two guys trying to do breakfast regularly and they talk about work and they talk about their businesses. They talk about their life and their marriage and their finances and their anxieties. Maybe it's a, a mom trying to spend time with other moms and being intentional and talking about encouragements and discouragements and bearing their heart with one another. It's not like one thing. It's not a program we're rolling out this week. It's just coming alongside. It's crewing for someone while you're running yourself. <laughs> you're not rested it on the sideline and looking for kind of people who are limping. You're saying, man, I'm limping. Can I put my arm around? Let's limp together. Let's lean on Jesus hard together. Let's, let's, let's learn and grow together. So let's get practical as we conclude. Who and how? Who and how? Where do you start in helping other people follow Jesus? Who? There's a sense in which the biblical answer would be anyone who's following Jesus, you can help as they follow Jesus, right? So find another Christian, they're qualified, you're qualified, you're good to go. In, in the verse we just read, we have something of uh, indication as to who maybe we should prioritize. Notice what he says. Paul tells Timothy to look for one particular characteristic, faithfulness. Hmm. One, one author put it this way, look for reliable people. 
So you think, all right, who could I help grow spiritually? Look for the ordinary person who shows up. Now, we're not picking on the people who don't show up. Could be church, could be life, could be some event, could be crossing your path regularly. But they're not there. So look for the order, look for the faithful people, right? Because those are the people that are going to pass it on, and that's when your discipleship will actually be successful. Because you haven't made a disciple till they make a disciple. Look for ordinary people who show up. Help them, encourage them. Here's one tip under that. Start with your own initiative. Think of someone reliable. When you think of, you look to, and maybe I could help them. Maybe I could encourage them. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're going to actually need to encourage me. And, and, and really, we just need to get together. How? How? How could you help them spiritually? Let me just say a couple kind of just real practical things that might encourage. Maybe you'll grab one or two of them. When you get time together, keep it, keep it really simple, but really intentional. Really simple, really intentional. So you can talk. You could read something together. You could study something together. You could just read a passage and pray in light of it together. Talk on the level of the heart. Don't just pray with them. Pray for them. Maybe write down some requests after the meeting so that next time you know where to pick up and begin to build a friendship with a spiritual intention. Give that person not just truth or time, but yourself, a front row seat so they can see your example. This is when all of you are really tempted like I am to say, no thanks. I don't want anyone to see my life. I I don't want them to see the mess. I don't want to feel like even once a week I have to clean the house of my life so that others can be let in. I, I don't, that doesn't feel good to me. Brothers and sisters, you don't need a perfect home, a tranquil marriage, well-behaved children. You don't need to be some spiritual giant. Your life does not need to be Instagram ready. You need the spirit and a willing heart. Paul says... That's how God set it up. Your clay, so everyone knows it's not the clay. God gets the glory. That's how it's set up. You may be thinking, how can I help them when I'm struggling so much myself? You might think, I have nothing to offer them. Pastor, you think I'm joking. I have nothing to offer them. Look again at Paul's advice in 2 Timothy 2.2. I think one implication of it is this. Repeat what others gave to you. Who did the Lord use in your life? What did they do? What did they say? What was their example? How did the Lord use them? Do that. Copy that. Think about the person who impacted you. Try to, try to model that. Um, I'll, I'll just give one small example. So uh, I grew up out east in, in, in uh, Boston area. I've been in the Midwest for college since the age of 17. Turned 18 my freshman year. And when I would make trips home, when my parents were still living out there, there was two or three different men that would try to take me out for breakfast, coffee, 
asked me how I was doing. They'd ask me about college. They'd ask me about relationships. They'd ask me about finances. They'd ask, we would just, they were just guys that would just try to get time with me once when I was home. That had a huge impact on me. When I go home now as an adult, it's my joy to say, hey, I'm coming into town and I want to get time with you. Thank you for pursuing me. So one of the things I've tried to do imperfectly as a pastor is, especially when young guys go away to school, when they're home on break, I just try to get with them. I have no agenda. We just, I buy them Starbucks or Tim Hortons. I kind of feel them out. Some guys are Starbucks guys. Some people are Tim Hortons guys. I don't care, right? We're just going to talk for an hour. I'll often take notes after. I'll look forward to the next time they're home. It's, this is not that exciting. Will the Lord use it? I don't know. That's what the Lord used in my life in part. That's what I'm going to use with them. I'm not that creative. What did the Lord use to impact you with the gospel? Think of the examples you knew maybe years ago, maybe right now in our church. How can you just copy that and encourage others? Be a little more intentional, not only in your own discipleship of Christ, but also in seeking to make disciples of others. Before Paul discipled Timothy, the reality that we often miss is that two others already had. Look at back at chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your mother Lois, grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Three quick observations from this. Note. That there's a spiritual legacy that's multi-generational. Second, note that that legacy came for Timothy through women, through mothers. There's a lot we don't know about the situation. Were the husbands, were the fathers even believers? We don't know. But in God's kindness, Timothy believed through the twin pattern Truth and example of his mother and grandmother. Mothers, what an opportunity you have to impact others for Jesus, to help your children follow Jesus. Be a Lois. Be a Eunice. Third observation. Timothy needed more than family. Isn't that interesting? He needed a Paul. He needed a crew. And he needed a crew for others. That's what Paul told him. It's been said, you can't take your children where you yourself haven't been. Isn't that an interesting statement? I think it's mostly true, right? Disciple making, helping others follow Jesus requires us to first be following Jesus. That's certainly true. But if that's how you feel, and that, and that, and that, that strikes you as, man, I have nothing to offer. I, I'm struggling as a Christian. I'm struggling as a mom. And I... I'm not sure I want my kids to to follow me. Let me encourage you, mom, who maybe feels like a failure and isn't a spiritual giant. You can go there together, right? You can say, let's grow together. I'll, I'll, I'll raise you as God raises us, spiritually speaking. Let's learn together. And God can give... Your Timothy, a Paul, to help him on his way, 
to bring him where you could never bring him alone, to mature him. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. That is the beauty of intertwined ultra marathon running. We're crewing for one another, sometimes in ways we don't even recognize. In just a minute, we're going to sing a few more songs and be dismissed. I want to remind uh, the ladies this morning in light of Mother's Day that we have a little gift for you as you head out. And so I hope you'll take one of those. Um, uh, we don't want any left over. So I hope you'll take one of those. And, uh, and it'll be just an encouragement and a blessing to you. Uh, thank you, moms. Thank you. Uh, Lord willing, next week, uh, Lincoln, as kind of the end of his internship, is going to be opening the word for us. And then in two weeks, Lord willing, we will begin the book of Hosea. Let me close this time in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he teaches and models that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you that he's called us to not just be a disciple, but to make disciples. Father, forgive us for the times that we have viewed disciple-making as an optional extra. That we have thought, man, I have nothing to offer. Father God, I pray that you would use us in the ways that you've used others in our lives to help us grow, to help us take the next step spiritually. Father, we ask that you would bless Uh, the mothers here in our midst. I pray that they would be honored by those around them and ultimately by you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.